On today's episode of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast, we'll be talking about the Major League Baseball All-Star Game. This past week, we'll also be recapping the Home Run Derby, talking about both of those events. We'll be getting to some Red Sox news. Red Sox have called up a couple players, so we'll get to that. Chris Sale has begun his rehab assignment. We will also take a look at the Red Sox draft selections from the past week's Major League Baseball draft. We'll also take a look at the Red Sox schedule as they open up the second half of the season. We will then get to the NHL. We'll talk plenty of Bruins, Brandon Carlo's new contract, Kevin Miller's retirement. Uh, We will also get to the Bruins in terms of the expansion draft, who the players are that the Bruins will most likely protect. We'll do a little bit of an expansion draft preview. Uh, We'll also take a look at what players the Bruins might be exposing Uh, We will also take a look at some Bruins potential free agent targets on defense. We'll take a look at a couple of those. We'll also take a look at some news and notes from around the NHL as there have been some trades that have happened. So uh, expansion draft getting closer. We'll get into all that. We will also get to the NBA, get you guys to an NBA Finals update as the series is tied two games apiece. Game five will be Saturday night, so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the Celtics filling out their coaching staff with a couple of new faces. We'll also give keep you guys updated on the Olympics. The Olympics will start uh, in, a, in about a week or so. Take a look at Team USA's schedule and some players that may not be participating. And we'll also take a look at some notes from around the NBA. Then we will get to the NFL, get to some Patriots stuff um, and other notes from around the NFL. And then we will get to the Revolution Give you guys a quick recap of the Euro 2020 tournament that concluded last weekend. And then this week, we will get to mailbag questions. I'll get to some at the end of the episode, get to some uh, while we're talking about certain topics. So let's go. going on everyone welcome to the program it is not your average boston sports podcast i'm your host garrett hayden and today episode 98 getting into quite a bit you know it was funny i uh, you know over the course of the week asking you know for mailbag questions we got some good questions uh, this week i really thought that it was going to be a light week you know which is part of the reason why i asked for you know all these mailbag questions but um, a lot of news has crept up over the past couple of days, so um, quite a jam-packed episode this week. Got uh, a couple of mailbag questions. We'll sprinkle them in uh, during our uh, some topic discussions, and then we'll get to some um, at the end of the episode as well. So really excited to get to those, hear from some of our uh, loyal listeners, if you will. Um, but 
first and foremost, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and on Facebook. You can also listen on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. So, as I said, a lot to get to this week. So, uh, without further ado, let's just get right into it. We'll start with some baseball, get into a recap of uh, the All-Star festivities, starting with the Home Run Derby on Monday night. That was really exciting. Uh, Pete Alonzo winning his second consecutive Home Run Derby crown after not having the competition last season, obviously. Um, but Pete Alonzo, reign supreme, beat Trey Mancini in the finals. It was uh, quite a home run derby. It was uh, very exciting, pretty much as advertised, you know, in my opinion. Um, Coors Field, you know, obviously we all know about the thin air out there. Ball travels a lot easier um, than in other places. It was really entertaining. Obviously, Pete Alonso with the 35 home runs in the first round and then was able to beat Mancini in the finals. Uh, Shohei Otani and Juan Soto had an unbelievable face-off in their first round. Soto actually beat him, beat Otani in a swing-off. It was a really entertaining home run derby. You know, this was one of the first all-star, you know, festivities or whatever you want to call it. This is the first time I felt like I've been really excited to watch, you know, the derby and the all-star game. This was really one of the first times in a very long time, you know, and I know me personally, not always been the biggest baseball person. You know, I think if you if you know me well enough, I'm more into, you know, some of the other sports. But, you know, this season just so many exciting young talents. You know, obviously you have a guy like Otani who has just taken Major League Baseball by storm and is just just electric to watch. You know, you watch the Home Run Derby. He starts in the All-Star game. You know, didn't do anything crazy in the game, which is unfortunate. I was kind of hoping he did a home run or do something, but um, game was fun. Um, I think that Fox did a great job, you know, getting player interviews. You know, not really sure. I still like the idea of talking to players while they're in the middle of their at-bats, but it was neat. You know, you get interviews with uh, Kevin Cash and Dave Roberts at the same time, which was kind of interesting. They talked to Freddie Freeman. You know, I really thought that, Fox and Major League Baseball did an excellent job of, you know, getting as much fan engagement into these events as possible. You know, All-Star Game was on Fox, Home Run Derby on ESPN, but I really just thought the whole entire, you know, two days was was spectacular. You know, we really got a feel for, you know, where the game of baseball is going, that it's really in the hands of of these young superstars. You know, Tatis... Uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. did not participate in the Home Run Derby, but won the uh, All-Star Game MVP with an absolute moonshot of a home run. Um, AL wins this game 5-2. to two. It's their eighth straight All-Star Game win. number of Red Sox players uh, appeared in this game. Uh, Matt Barnes and Nate Evaldi each pitched an inning. Matt Barnes was able to get out of a jam in the eighth inning. J.D. Martinez 0-2 in his at-bats. Uh, but Bogarts and Devers each had a couple, each had some hits. Uh, Bogarts did drive in a run in the AL wins. And uh, Otani gets the win, Liam Hendricks the save. So the American League continues their their dominance in the All-Star game. But uh, really just an excellent display of talent over those two days. 
Home Run Derby All-Star Game. You know, and hopefully this continues to be a trend that, you know, people are excited for these events. And, you know, I just thought it was it was a really fun experience to be able to, you know, watch these events and really get into it for the first time in a very long time. I really think that, you know, if baseball is in the hands of these young stars, it's in great hands. You know, you think about the guys that I mentioned, you know, Tatis, Guerrero, um, Rafael Devers, you know, you think about all these guys who really are making the game a lot more exciting. So uh, credit to them. So Red Sox obviously opening up their second half of the season. They were supposed to play last night. The Yankees have um, a number of players that are um, under the COVID protocol. So um, unclear if they play tonight. They are scheduled for a 7, 7 o'clock start. Um, so the big news for the Red Sox uh, you know, Wednesday night was that the Red Sox will be uh, would be calling up uh, Jaron Duran to make his major league debut. He was uh, slated to be the starting center fielder last night. Ultimately, game didn't get played, but uh, the Red Sox, I think, making it clear that they are you know ready to to bring up arguably their top prospect at the moment, and you know see 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 exactly what what he can do and. Um, I'll just say he's been really exciting in the minor leagues. Was uh, I was lucky enough to go to a Woo Sox game a couple of a couple of weeks ago. He had a really good game, had a couple hits. Um, so in AAA, Duran in 189 at bats has 15 home runs, 32 RBIs, 15 steals, hitting 270 on base percentage of 365 and then a slugging percentage of 561. Duran out of Long Beach State was drafted in the seventh round in 2018, originally drafted as a second baseman, but obviously he's been in the outfield, a pretty good uh, defensive outfielder there. So I think with the Red Sox being a team that, you know, really kind of lacking that traditional leadoff hitter, um, you know, trying to see what, what Duran can, can give them. Um, I think that by calling up Duran, the Red Sox are, you know, giving him a shot to be an impact player. I don't really think that this is a, you know, trade showcase necessarily. You know, I think that this is something where the Red Sox feel like it's a good time to bring him up. You know, they're in a good spot. You know, have a, have a division lead that's not as big as it once was a couple of weeks ago, but I think that they're in a good spot that they can bring in their best prospect, see what he can do, and see if he can give the team a lift. And it's possible he doesn't. It's possible that he struggles. You know, it happens to everyone. You know, not everyone is going to uh, burst onto the scene and be an impact player right away. So, you know, I would say to people, don't get your hopes up. Don't you know, automatically assume that he's going to set the world on fire. You know, I think the Red Sox just want to see what he can do. And if he just helps the team win, I think that that's important. You know, if he can solidify a spot in that outfield as a leadoff hitter, even better. Um, but I think we have to be smart about tempering our expectations and not, you know, putting too much on the, on this kid who, you know, is the Red Sox most talented prospect, you know, they might have a, a couple of prospects that are going to be pretty good in the next few years. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but I think it's exciting. It'll be good to see him uh, hopefully make his debut tonight. Red Sox also calling up 
Tanner Houck, who started the season as a starter, made a couple starts, made two starts at the beginning of the season, obviously made uh, three starts last season and was really, really good. Uh, 3-0 with an ERA that was under 1.53 ERA, gave up just six hits in 17 innings last year. Um, obviously has been in AAA Worcester after making two starts with the Red Sox um, early in the season. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what the idea is there. You know, I think that he's a guy that, you know, they'll definitely experiment with, try him in the rotation, try him out of the bullpen. You know, I think that, again, because the Red Sox are in the position that they're in, I think that, you know, they can afford to kind of give some guys an opportunity to see what they got. You know, I think that it would be different if the Red Sox are, you know, in really kind of not hovering around 500, but like really fully in a playoff chase where they didn't kind of distance themselves. You know, I know that that division lead is not very big, but I think when you look at what their record is, you know, I think that they can afford to you know, try some different things out. And I think that it will be interesting, you know, what, what the Red Sox see from Hauk. And then, you know, you have Chris Sale, who has um, begun his rehab assignment, pitched uh, some scoreless innings in the Florida Florida Coast League for the Red Sox. I think that that was a couple of days ago. So not sure what the timeline is, you know, if they have him pitch a couple times down in Florida. Do they have him come up? Uh, to Portland or to Worcester to throw a couple uh, rehab games, but it's it's good to see, and I think that that means that you'll see Chris Sale back in Boston very soon, um, which is exciting. You know, I think that it's again you're in this position because of how well the pitching is done, um, and I think that you have put yourselves in a spot that you can welcome a guy like Chris Sale back into the rotation. You know, give you a boost and you know, really helps solidify that rotation. You know, it's going to seem like a good problem to have if the Red Sox, you know, have Sale up in the rotation. They have Hauk up in Boston, and they have Richards up in Boston. You know, I think having too many starting pitchers is honestly a good problem to have, and who knows? You know, maybe you can get some trade value out of someone like Richards, you know, if you think that that's the right move, or do you move him to the bullpen, whatever you do. I think that it's good to have a problem of like too many pitchers. Um, so good to see Chris Sale back on the rehab stint and will definitely be back. Um, definitely be back by the end of the, by the end of July, maybe early August, um, I would think. So if we take a look at the Red Sox and their schedule uh, coming out of the all-star break, Red Sox with uh, obviously four games set in New York, really kind of a fluid situation in terms of um, whether they'll play a doubleheader in New York, you know, whether they'll be able to play some of these games. Obviously, the Yankees have had some positive tests in the organization, so um, it's kind of up in the air at this moment. Uh, The game last night obviously was postponed, definitely will be made up at some point. I don't know if that's going to be during this series. The Red Sox are scheduled to play tonight on Friday. I believe that Rodriguez was supposed to go last night, so he will get bumped up. He'll pitch tonight, Um, and then I'm assuming that will knock 
everyone down a little bit. So Perez will pitch tomorrow, and then Evaldi will pitch on Sunday. So all three of those games are against the Yankees um, in the Bronx. Red Sox then will travel to Buffalo to play Toronto for a couple games, for three games. Uh, Tanner Houck is scheduled to start next Wednesday, so that will be something to keep your eye on. And then the Red Sox will return home, play four games against the Yankees, and then four games against Toronto, and that will pretty much take them to the end of the month before they travel to Tampa Bay. Obviously, we'll take a, we take a look at the schedule every week or so. Um, but I think that this will be a good opportunity for the Red Sox to pad their lead in the American League East with, you know, five consecutive series against AL East opponents. To this point, Red Sox have done really well against the division, but I think that, you know, you got to be really careful and you really got to do well against these division opponents because I think that that's ultimately what is going to matter between winning the division or even going to the playoffs. You know, the Red Sox are in a great spot, but, you know, we've seen plenty of teams have second-half collapses, you know, miss the playoffs after being a... first half team that lights the world on fire which is exactly what we saw with the Red Sox in the first half of the season winning 54 of their first 88 games so in terms of uh, the Red Sox at the draft you have uh, Marcelo Meyer Mayer who is the Red Sox first first round draft pick fourth overall many people thought that he uh, could be the number one pick. He actually was projected um, by MLB.com as the number one prospect available um, and the number two prospect by Baseball America. So obviously the Red Sox with a very poor season last year, uh, finishing in last place, but obviously gives them a good draft pick. Red Sox with the opportunity to draft someone like Mayer, um, who has committed to play baseball at USC, you know, obviously we'll see how, you know, when he comes into the Red Sox organization. Um, obviously with a player fourth overall and a player that could have been the number one pick, obviously you have an incredible talent here. Um, is a shortstop out of East Lake High School in Chula Vista, California. Batted three ninety two with 14 home runs and 45 RBIs in 34 games for his uh, high school this season. And so it's a really talented player. Red Sox uh, really kind of, kind of just being being in a position where fourth overall, you're really not going to miss with any of the players that you take. Now I know that you know baseball draft. I think especially is much more of a crapshoot than any other sport. But I think clearly, if you have a player who, by some people, was projected to be that number one pick. You know, you're not going to miss with this. And I think that, yes, maybe it's a little strange that they picked a shortstop, you know, because you think about Xander Bogarts, but I think that a guy like Mayer, who is an incredibly talented athlete, you know, maybe there's a possibility that they try him in another position. But it's also entirely possible that, you know, he plays a lot at USC. You know, I'd be curious to see what, you know, his professional decision will be. Um, in terms of does he go to college, does he play with the Red Sox. I'm not really sure what the 
decision-making process is like. Um, but I think that anytime you have the opportunity to select the best available player, I think you do it. And I think that, you know, the MLB draft, I think more so than the other drafts, I think are a lot less about, you know, positions of need because you're not expecting your draft picks to come up and play with the major league team right away. You know, that really only happens with the, you know, superstar players that come right out of high school or come right out of the draft and can play on that major league team right away. You really don't see that very often. You know, I think when you look at the NBA or the NFL draft, those guys are right on the rosters right away. You know, I think the NHL, it's a little bit like major league baseball because you're not expecting those players to come in and play for your team right away, you know, unless you are a first-round pick or you really impress in in training camp. So I think the Red Sox made a great pick here, Um, and arguably you could say that they made um, a pick in the second round that probably is someone that could have been a first-round pick in a a perfect world. Uh, The Red Sox taking outfielder Judd Fabian out of Florida, who is actually uh, projected to be a top pick in this year's draft last season. He was projected by some to be as high as fourth overall. So the Red Sox really getting two outstanding um, young players that will definitely, hopefully, be a part of their core. So uh, Fabian is a right-handed hitter, a 23rd-ranked prospect in this year's draft, 27th overall by Baseball America, selected to the All-SEC First Team and All-SEC Defensive Team. Uh, hit 249 last season in 51 games, 20 homers, 46 RBIs, 51 runs scored, 10 doubles, and was ranked ninth among Division I hitters in home runs. So Red Sox, two really good picks. Um, the Red Sox then on day two, picking eight pitchers, eight right-handed, eight infielders, two outfielders, a catcher, and a utility player. Uh, the Red Sox overall of all the 20 players drafted, 15 college players, five from high school, including the top pick, Marcelo Mayer. So a pretty successful draft for the Red Sox. Be interested to see what that means for some of the guys that they drafted. I think specifically Mayer and Fabian, who are probably going to be, you know, two of their better prospects. Um, So really looking forward to seeing what these guys got. I think the Red Sox are really in a great position um, based on the draft and based on the moves that they've made um, over the last couple of years that I think they've put themselves in good position to kind of replenish and rebuild that farm system. Um, Because, you know, that's really what put this team over the top, you know, in the late 2000s when you talk about the 07 championship team, 08 and 09, you know, you had a great farm system that, you know, I think has not really been on that same level in a very long time. It's probably been since then that the Red Sox have had the potential for a strong farm system. And I think that you're seeing that, you know, I think that you're seeing that with two outstanding players that they're picked, that they've picked and possibly some other guys that maybe are not as high profile, but maybe they come through the system uh, and impress. So I think that that probably does it for baseball. We will move on to the NHL. We do have a couple of mailbag questions that we will get to uh, during this segment. So, obviously, first off, the Bruins signing Brandon Carlo to a new contract extension, giving him six years, 
that will pay him an average of 4.1 million a season. You know, I think that this is this is great. You know, I had the Bruins re-signing Carlo. I thought that, you know, there's really no way that they don't re-sign him. It just was a matter of, you know, what that contract looks like. I didn't think the Bruins were going to go out to six years with this deal, but I think that, you know, you want to set him up to be one of the pillars of your defensive group. You know, I think everyone thinks about Grizzlick and McAvoy as being kind of the two best defenders, but... You know, Carlo has always been Mr. Consistency in terms of in terms of defense in, in terms of defense. You know, it doesn't really give you much offensively. You know, I think the Bruins are still hoping that he can kind of, you know, tap into that a little bit, but he's really just always been rock solid um, as a defensive player and um, obviously has had some concussion issues, had a couple uh, concussions this past season. Um, and, you know, one of them that I think unfortunately kind of turned the tide in that Islanders series that the Bruins and their defense kind of got exposed with kind of their lack of depth. Um, And I think that, you know, the lack of depth coupled with the lack of secondary scoring, you know, really doomed them and really was their Achilles heel in the second round um, against the Islanders. But it's good to see Carlos back. Um, You know, I think the Bruins have a lot of confidence, a lot of faith in him. And I think that, um, it's great. I think it's great that they could lock him up. I think the Bruins were going to protect him anyway in the expansion draft, so it really didn't make any difference that it was like, oh, an extra player that they had to protect. So uh, happy to see Carlos back, 24 years old, will be under contract for the next six seasons um, at about $4 million, which is great. I think that it's great value. You know, I think that going from 2.85 to 4.1, is a pretty good raise. You know, it's nothing crazy. And I will also say, just last note on this, I think Don Sweeney's done an excellent job at uh, re-signing his own players. I think that he's done a much better job than, say, Shirelli, who I think, you know, may have done a poor job at re-signing his own guys for too much money. But I think that, for the most part, Sweeney's done a great job. You know, you look at the contracts for Marshan, for Bergeron, for Pasternak, um, you know, now Carlo. You look at some of the deals free agent wise now i know that we're going out branching out from what what i'm talking about but i think the bruins have always done a great job in the last couple years of of re-signing their own guys and giving them good contracts and um hopefully carlo is a big part of the bruins uh, success over the next couple years so uh, that was good to see it also was kind of a bittersweet day because the same day we found out that kevin miller uh, announced his retirement after seven seasons. Uh, really, a guy who really respected his career and has come up. You know, as a guy who went undrafted, really was not given much of a chance to succeed. The Bruins saw that, brought him in, and he was pretty good for a few years. Um, and I also just thought that his ability to improve as a skater was really impressive. You know, you saw that over the last couple of years before the before the injuries that he had in 2019. Um, that he really had improved his skating and I think really had worked hard to try to improve that part of his game. But, you know, sadly, injury bug hits and, you know, you kind of feel for a guy like that who, you know, was always a player that played the game the right way, was always physical, always gave the Bruins an added element of physicality. But, you know, I think just unfortunately with the style of play, um, 
it just did him in, unfortunately. You know, unfortunate that his last game was um, against the Capitals and his career basically ended after a, a dirty hit from the Capitals. Um, or a love, you know, which is unfortunate. But, you know, I think that you can respect Kevin Miller. You know, say whatever you want about um, his personal beliefs. I think that that's a separate conversation. But, you know, I think that you just respect him and the guys respected him and loved him as a teammate. And I think that that's really all you need to say. So, you know, kind of crazy you know i think when you listen when you hear guys who retire you know oftentimes it's big long careers you know seven years is still a pretty long time but it is just interesting to hear about you know guys who retire and guys who hang them up you know like someone like pecorina who just retired after 14 or 15 years you know and it kind of just is amazing to see some guys play for so long um and be able to kind of play through whatever it is, whether it's injury or, or whatever. You know, I think that Kevin Miller definitely deserves some props for trying to come back this season. The Bruins rewarded him with a contract to be like, hey, if you can try, we'd love to have you. And he made it into a good number of games. He was a pretty solid player, too. Um, so other free agent news, it sounds like the Bruins and Taylor Hall are coming close to an agreement. I uh, wouldn't expect, though, that this happens before the expansion draft because then that would mean the Bruins would have to probably protect an extra body, which I don't think they would want to do at the moment. Um, but it is at least good to hear that they are moving in that direction with Taylor Hall. You know, I really don't think that there's a chance that he goes elsewhere. You know, I think that he's made it pretty clear that, you know, money is not really an object here, that he kind of wants to be here um, and wants to perform here. And, you should feel pretty, pretty happy about that. Um, so we will now get into the expansion draft, the um, protected lists must be submitted by tomorrow at, I think it's five o'clock that NHL teams have to submit their protected lists and they also become public, which is great. So many of us can, you know, kind of do a mock expansion. I'm going to try to do that, although it's going to be a little difficult because you might see some player movement um, in the next, like, 24 hours or something like that. We've already seen some movement. Some teams have made trades. We'll get into that uh, a little bit later. But um, my our first question, uh, first mailbag question, came from my good friend Sean Montgomery, and his question was, very simple. Who are the Bruins going to protect or who should they protect? So using Cap Friendly's Seattle expansion draft tool, um, I will go to the Bruins and I'll go through each of the players that uh, I think the Bruins should protect. So we'll, we'll go really easy. We'll uh, start with goaltender. Um, so a lot of people are concerned about um, Jeremy Swayman, but he is uh, not, he is exempt from the expansion draft is he has not played I think the amount of games required so he does not need to be protected so in terms of the goalies obviously you have two grass you have your slot block but uh, both of those guys are going to be unrestricted free agents I don't really think the Bruins would have much problem with losing Halak you know the only you know Seattle can take 
can take free agents. They just are responsible for signing them. So I think most likely you're going to see Seattle take a lot of players that are under contract. They might take one or two that are free agents, but I just think there's not really a goalie that looks interesting. So I think the Bruins, in terms of their protected goaltender, um, you have Tuka Rask, you have Yaroslav Halak, you have Dan Vladar, and you have Callum Booth, um, who was signed, I think, last offseason. So I think the Bruins, it's an obvious choice. I think they protect Vladar here as he has played a good amount in the NHL, but has been pretty solid. I don't think that it's a player that the Bruins really want to be um, you know, giving away for free. Um, in terms of defense, I think that this is pretty obvious. I think you see McAvoy, Grizzlick, and Brandon Carlo all be protected. Um, so I should note that teams can protect either seven forwards, three defense, and one goalie, or they can select, or they can protect um, eight skaters, so defense, four forwards, and then one goalie. So a team has to protect a goalie. I think the Bruins protect Vladar, and I think protect McAvoy, Grizzlick, and Carlo. I don't really think any of the other defensemen um, are worth protecting, because then it might mean that if you protect another defenseman, you're not going to be able to protect a forward. So I think the Bruins will go with a 7-3-1 protection. Um, and it also is worth noting that any player with a no-movement clause has to be protected um, unless the team asks the player uh, to waive their no-movement clause so that they can protect another player. Um, that has happened a couple times. I think we've seen um, with some teams. We'll get to that in a moment. But I think for the Bruins, in terms of their no-movement clauses, Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand, and Charlie Coyle all have them. So that's three spots taken up. So the Bruins will be left with four spots to protect people. So I think, obviously, David Pasternak will be protected. I think that that's a pretty obvious assumption. I think they'll also protect Craig Smith. So this is where it gets interesting. This is where it's kind of an opinion. Um, I think that while I don't really think Jake DeBrusque is really going to work out here in Boston, I think it would be a mistake to leave him unprotected and you potentially lose him for nothing. I still think that he can give you some value, potentially in a trade. So I think that you would protect him rather than risk losing him for nothing. And so then that leaves you with one more spot, and that leaves you between Nick Ritchie and Tred Frederick. Bruins are already giving Frederick a contract. Um, two years, one million, doesn't mean that you know the Bruins will necessarily protect him. But I think that it will come down to a decision between Frederick and Ritchie, um, I just think the Bruins are a team that wants to see Frederick kind of grow into a role this season. So I think that they protect him, and I think that they leave um, Nick Ritchie unprotected. So that's what I think will be the Bruins' protected players. Um, as far as who I think Seattle will take, I really think it's a toss-up between uh, Connor Clifton and Jeremy Lozon. I think that it's really just depending on what Seattle thinks is a need. You know, getting someone like Clifton, who's cheap, under contract for a couple a couple more years, um, a pretty versatile for a pretty versatile defender that can throw the body, um, and a, a right shot defenseman that can play both sides. You know, I think that right shot defensemen are a little bit harder to come by, so I think that there's a possibility they could look at Clifton. I also though think that. Uh, Lausanne is a couple years younger, has a little bit more upside, um, is also signed to 
a very a very solid contract, not something that you'd have to pay a lot of money. So um, I think ultimately Seattle will take Lausanne. I think that that's going to be the safest pick for them. Um, and I think the Bruins dodge a bullet and are able to keep a right shot defenseman that if they took Clifton, the Bruins really would have to regroup in terms of right shot defensemen because they don't really have a lot um, outside of uh, Carlo, McAvoy, and Clifton. So I think Seattle will take uh, Lausanne. I had said Clifton a couple of weeks ago, but I've changed my mind. I think Seattle takes Lausanne. So in terms of looking at the rest of the teams, um, I've previously mentioned that I'm using uh, Cap Friendly's tool. So there is a tool on this that you can click what's called Quick Protect, where it automatically protects players. Now, you know, this is not going to be perfect because I think I might disagree with some of the uh, some of the players they protect, but I think just for I think just for quickness sake, I'm going to, you know, go through and kind of fix the Bruins one um, the way that I think, and then we will go team by team and take some selections. Um, so I'll move to the draft team so that uh, first thing is you can protect players and you can do that um, you can do that on your own or you can get the site to do it do it um, do it automatically so I think I'm gonna go a little bit quickly um, so first you have Anaheim I don't really think that there's a lot of well actually there there are a couple of interesting choices um, I think Seattle could go the way of taking Someone like Hayden Fleury, who is a young, cost-controlled defenseman. I don't know if they'd take Shattenkirk. I think that there's a possibility that they do, but I think that if you're Seattle, you're going to have a lot of defensemen who are going to be available, so I think it makes sense to try to get as much scoring as you can. Um, now, Adam Henrique really is the only player um, on this roster that looks like someone that could be a, you know, a player that could fit on your first and second line and kind of be someone that can be one of your top scorers. So I think Seattle takes Henrique. We'll move on to Arizona. Now, I know I'm doing this team by team, so it might be a little bit wacky. Um, I will also mention that I will put out um, an official mock draft um, once the protected lists become public. Obviously, we're doing this a couple days uh, before the lists are made public, so you know the team might be a little bit off. But I just figured, hey, it would be a, a fun exercise to do. So with Arizona, a lot of players that are free agents this offseason or next offseason. So there's really not a lot of great choices with Arizona. Um, I think that they take Aiden Hill, who's a young you know, goalie. He is a free agent this summer. He is restricted. But I think that um, it would not take a whole lot to get him re-signed. So I think Seattle goes and takes Hill to be one of their, you know, backup goalies. And then as far as the Bruins, I think that, you know, already talked about it, I think that Seattle takes Lausanne to add to their defense. And then we get to Buffalo. Buffalo is another team that I think 
there's really not a whole lot of options here. You know, they could take someone like an, a, a Bjork. Um, I also think that there's a chance that Buffalo could protect him. So this is just using the quick protect tool. So some of these players may not necessarily be available. You know, this is just based on, um, I think, crowdsource popularity of the players that most fans would protect. So obviously, this is not going to be perfect. Um, but I think looking at the roster, the Buffalo roster, if they leave Bjork unprotected, I think he would be a player that I would take if I was Seattle. Um, obviously underachieved a little bit in Boston, but I think that there's a possibility he could kind of find a find find a, a second home and kind of find kind of a, a fresh perspective. So um, I think they take Bjork from Buffalo again. I think that he'll be protected. I don't really think that they would leave him unprotected, but you know we're just kind of going by whatever the players are available. Uh, so now we go to Calgary. I think there's a good possibility that Calgary leaves um, Giordano available. I don't know if they'd protect him. Um, you know, you could go the route of a Michael Backlund, but he is 32. He's signed for for the next couple of years. It's a pretty big cap hit, and if I'm Seattle, I think I'm trying to take as many young, like kind of cost-controlled players as I possibly can. Um, that being said, there's not a lot of options here. Uh, Brett Ritchie was just re-signed by Calgary, so possibility he could be left exposed. Um, but I think, you know, Chris Tanev is another option, uh, is making a pretty good amount of money. He's on the older side. Uh, but I don't really think there's a lot of a lot better options um, on this team other than maybe Brett Ritchie. So I think Seattle takes Tanev. And then we will go to Carolina. There are a lot of good options here, a lot of young cost-controlled defensemen and some forwards too. Also have James Reimer. Well, actually, no, he's an unrestricted free agent. I think that would make sense. Um you have someone like Brady Shea, but he's kind of making a good amount of money, as is Jake Gardner. I don't think that they take either of those guys. Um, I think there's a possibility that they could take Jake Bean. Um, I think it's really going to come down to Jake Bean or Stephen, Lor- Stephen Lorenz. Um, I think Seattle leans defense and takes Jake Bean. Moving to Chicago, not a lot of great options here. Um, Caleb Jones did just get traded. I think that there's a good possibility that um, Chicago protects him. We'll talk about that trade in a little bit. Um, Chicago trading Duncan Keith to Edmonton. Um, I would think if Chicago is getting Caleb Jones back, they're probably going to protect him. Um, But, you know, we're just doing this for the exercise and there's a best player available. I think that he's probably the best player available, so I would take him. Um, I actually thought he would get taken by Seattle when he was on uh, Edmonton, and I did this a couple weeks ago. Um, Going to Colorado, Colorado obviously trading Ryan Graves yesterday, so I think that that leaves a spot open for them to protect Devon Taves, who, you know, is oddly enough available. Obviously, this isn't perfect. Um, But I think there are also some other options that could be interesting. You know, have JT Comfer, who's on this list, Val Nachushkin, who had a really solid bounce-back year. Um, but I think that if, if someone like Devon Taves is left exposed, 
there's no way that Seattle doesn't take him. So I think Seattle takes him. You know, I feel like I'm going to repeat myself a million times, but this is not a perfect exercise. So there's a possibility Devontae's, you know, is protected, which I think is going to happen. Um, looking at Columbus, you have a couple of kind of young forwards. I think that they go and get Eric Robinson, 26-year-old, is under contract the next next season. So I think Seattle goes in his direction with that pick. With Dallas, Ben Bishop did waive his uh, no-movement clause. He will be available, but I don't think that we're going to see him get selected. I had um, Seattle taking Tanner Caro um, a couple weeks ago, so I think that that's what they do again with this pick. It also is worth noting that uh, Seattle obviously is working under the same cap, the same um, cap hit, or excuse me, the um, is working under the salary cap. I don't know why, I, why that was hard for me to just to get out. Um, but they do have to spend at least a certain number of money. Um, So the minimum amount of cap space that they have to spend is about $49 million. So that's why you will probably see them take on a couple players with big contracts so they can get up over that limit. You know, obviously they're not going to be spending over $81.5 million, so you might see them take a lot of players on kind of smaller contracts, um, especially if there's not a really good option on any of these teams, which I think we're coming to a team like Detroit who really, I don't think has great options here. You know, they could go the route of getting a Danny to Kaiser who's under contract for one more season, but he is making 5 million. It's not really that good of a player anymore. Um, you know, Richard Panik is really the only other option uh, for Seattle. So I think that they go goaltender and I think they take Caden Fulcher, who is a goalie on a minors contract that is, a restricted free agent next summer. So that's who I think they take from Detroit. Going to Edmonton, possibility that they take James Neal. Um, um, but yeah, you have a couple of options here. Um, but I think that Seattle's going to need scoring. And at this point, I've not taken too many forwards. So I think that they take James Neal here to kind of see if he can be a little bit of a scorer. He's under contract for the next two seasons at just under $6 million. Looking at Florida, Florida is able to uh, sign Anthony Duclair to a new contract. So he obviously will not be left exposed. Possibility that Nola Chari gets taken here. Um, there might be some solid options for Seattle here. Um possibility that they go goaltender uh, but I think that you're going to see them go forward and I think they either go with Ryan Lomborg or Mason Marchment I think they go with Marchment here um, and then LA not a lot of great options Jonathan Quick obviously will be available I don't think that he gets taken um, I think that LA or I think Seattle is going to go and get Matt Roy, who is a young defenseman who's under contract for the next couple seasons, really not making a whole lot of money. So I think that that's 
where they go. Minnesota is really interesting because they just bought out Ryan Suter and um, Zach Parisi. So it seems in all likelihood that Minnesota is going to be able to protect Matt Dumba, uh, which is probably what they're thinking here. So, you know, under this exercise, Dumba is left unprotected. I'm not sure why. Um, So I think obviously if he's there, Seattle's going to take him. I really think there's no questions asked. Um, If they don't take him, you know, I think you got a couple of solid young forwards. Um, Nico Sturm could be someone that they take. Uh, Ryan Hartman had a really good season last year. Uh, Victor Rask was really good, as was Nick Bukestad. Both of those guys are just under contract for one more season. Um, So if I'm Seattle and assuming Matt Dumba is not available, which is, I think, what what I'm going to work under here, Um, I think that they go and take Brian Hartman here, um, who's under contract for a number of more seasons. Um, So I think that's the direction they go with with Minnesota, with Montreal. Really not a lot of great options. They could go the route of a Ben Sherratt, but I think that you are going to get, you'll have some better available defensemen later. But I also think, you know, if Dumba is going to be off the board, they probably need as many solid defensemen as they can get. So I think that Seattle goes and gets Ben Sherratt, who had a really good postseason, I thought. In terms of Nashville, Nashville, there are a lot of solid options here for Seattle. I think that they go forward-wise. Um, and I think... See, this is hard because there are actually a lot of good options. I think that they go Yakov Trenin who's not making a whole lot of money. So I think they take him. He is a restricted free agent next summer, so Seattle would have to re-sign him, but I think he would be a good player to get under contract. Um, New Jersey, obviously, getting Ryan Graves, they most likely will protect him. Um, So I think not really a lot of great options here in the Devils. Uh, Nathan Bastian had signed a new contract, so I don't think he'll be left unprotected. Um, you know, have to look and see what the Devils are looking at. But I think that um, they go Yanni Kowokanen here with the Devils pick with the Islanders. I think I'm going to start to go just a little quicker. Um, I feel like I'm taking a lot of time here. Uh, Scott Mayfield, I think, is the most obvious pick for the Islanders or from the Islanders for the um, Seattle Kraken. Really like the name. I'm so excited to see them see them play, how the team is constructed. Uh, expansion draft will be on ESPN, which will be a lot of fun to watch. Um, I think in terms of the Rangers, things get kind of interesting. Um, but I think if Colin Blackwell is unprotected, I think Seattle goes and takes him. With Ottawa, you have plenty of players available, but... Not really a lot of great options. I think that they go Nick Paul here. Uh, Looking at Philadelphia, I think Philadelphia might actually be the most obvious pick. Um, I think Seattle goes and takes James Van Riemsdyk. I think you really need guys who can score, and I think he's probably, you know, I know he's 32, and I know he doesn't has not scored at the rate he usually does, but I think that he's still a solid pick to take with. with Philadelphia, if Jared McCann is left unprotected, I think he's an obvious pick for Seattle from Pittsburgh. 
looking at the the Sharks, you know, not a whole lot of great options here. Um, Braddock Simic was my pick a couple weeks ago. I think I'll stick with that for St. Louis. I honestly forget who I picked. I think that um, it's probably a decision between Sammy Blay or Oscar Sundquist. I think that Seattle goes Sammy Blay. I think he's a little less expensive, so I think that that's the route they go from Tampa Bay. Things will get very interesting here. Um, Tampa Bay is just not going to be able to save all their defensemen, so I think Chernak is going to be the one that gets picked by Seattle. And then you come to Toronto. I still think that um, Seattle, as much as they're a good defenseman, I think that they're going to try to load up as much as they can on defense. So I think that they take uh, Travis Dermott, who is a little younger than Justin Hull, who I had picked a number of months ago for like maybe my first expansion draft. But I think that Seattle goes Dermott for the Canucks. I think that they go Braden Holtby. I think that you need a goaltender who's, you know, still a solid NHL goaltender and who knows, could get hot. I think that he's the right pick there. Um, in terms of Washington, there's some s- solid options here, but I think that they want to try to get a solid backup goaltender. So I think that they go Vitek Vanacek here, making that four goalies. I think that Seattle will take four goalies. Um, and then Winnipeg, I think that you will see potentially Adam Lowry. You know, if he's left unprotected, I think that there's a possibility but I think that he'll be protected, to be perfectly honest. Um, Dominic Toninato, I think that Seattle will take with their last pick. So that is what I think the roster will look like. We'll take a quick look at their team right now. Obviously, it's worth mentioning that this is not perfect, that this roster is probably going to look a lot different. Maybe I get some picks right. Uh, I will post, though, my official expansion draft um, possibly this weekend so let's take a look at the players that I selected I think the timing thing ran out unfortunately so I have to reload the page here (laughs) so Adam Henrique from the Ducks Aiden Hill from the Coyotes, Lausanne from the Bruins, Anders Bjork from the Sabres, Christopher Tanev from the Hurricane or from the from the Flames, Jake Bean from the Hurricanes, um, Caleb Jones from the Blackhawks, Devon Taves from the Avalanche, Eric Robinson from the Blue Jackets, Tanner Kiro from the Dallas Stars. Caleb Fulcher from Caden Fulcher from the Red Wings, James Neal from the Oilers, Mason Marchment from Florida, Matt Roy from the Kings, Ryan Hartman from Minnesota, Ben Sherratt from Montreal, Yakov Trenin from Nashville, Yanni Kuokinen from the Devils. Scott Mayfield from the Islanders, Colin Blackwell from the Rangers, Nick Paul from Ottawa, James Van Riemsdyk from Philadelphia, Jared McCann from the Penguins, 
Radic Simic from Radim Simic from the Sharks, Sammy Blay from the Blues, Eric Chernak from the Lightning, Travis Dermott from Toronto, Braden Holtby from Vancouver, Vitek Vanacek from Washington, and then Dominic Toninato from Winnipeg. So I have the official one that I'll probably put out at some point this weekend. Um, so we'll get back to a last little hockey no- or last couple of hockey notes uh, before we move forward. The Bruins of two potential uh, players that they could possibly bring in in free agency. Uh, both of these players being bought out in the most recent days. Uh, Keith Yandel from Florida and Ryan Suter from Minnesota. Both of these players, potential links to the Bruins in terms of players that they could bring in to play some minutes. Um, I think that, in my opinion, I think Suter is a better fit. You know, I know he's a little bit older, but I think that he's capable of still playing big minutes. Um, he was a player that um, averaged last season over 22 minutes. You know, played a lot of his minutes with Jared Spurgeon, who's a really excellent defenseman. Um, but there's a possibility that you bring in Suter. He could play with McAvoy. He could play with Carlo. You know, I really think that he's a guy that could really help out, really give you what you're looking for in terms of, you know, a big minutes-eating top-four defenseman, which is pretty much what the Bruins are looking for. You know, I think that at age 36, he's still able to give you minutes. You know, Keith Yandel, someone that, yes, is very skilled offensively and could really be a big big use for your power play, but he's not a guy that's playing a lot of minutes. He only played 17 minutes on average last season. So, you know, that tells me that he would be more of a kind of third-pair defenseman, which I don't think is a bad idea, but I think if you're choosing between Yandel and Suter, Suter's the obvious choice because I think he can play bigger minutes and you kind of need someone who can play bigger minutes. Um, I think a lot of people are just saying Yandel because he's from Boston, you know, and played played at BU, if I'm not mistaken. Why do I think he played BU, or am I, or am I just making that up? I think I might be making that up. Um, see if we can go through. Yeah, no, I totally imagine that he played for BU. Um, he played at Cushing Academy in Massachusetts. But yeah, I think a lot of people are hitching their wagon to him because he's a Boston guy, and people just think, oh, you know, he'd be a good fit. I don't really think that that's the case. I think that Suter is going to be the better fit for you. Um, but there's a possibility Bruins could look at someone else. But I think, you know, for either of these guys, you're not looking at signing them for a long-term deal. You know, at the most, you're signing one of these guys for two years, maybe one. You know, I think that the Bruins honestly maybe have another kind of Stanley Cup run in them. You know, is their window open for two more years? If that's the case, I really don't have an issue with them bringing in older players, you know, especially if they're reliable, which I think Suter is still a reliable player. Um, I don't really care about the age thing because I think the Bruins are really trying to go for it. And I think that you kind of just throw caution to the wind if you're going out and trying to win. Now, I understand that might scare some people in terms of like, oh, are you going to do some crazy trades? I don't think so, but I think that if you're looking at bringing in someone who can eat minutes and be a solid top four defenseman, screw it if they're 36. Like, I really don't think 
there's going to be a perfect player that comes along. And I really just think that if Ryan Suter is your best option, that that's what you should do and just kind of go with it and roll with it. I think that that's, I think that he's the better fit than Yandel. I know that Yandel definitely has that, you know, added element of being a pretty decent offensive player. Had 24 assists last season as someone that you could use still on the power play, which I think the Bruins could definitely use. But at the same time, I think that, you know, Suter's someone who can eat more minutes than him. And I think that that is kind of the, the thing that matters here um, in terms of the Bruins. So it'll be interesting to see what the Bruins look at in terms of those guys. Do they sign either one of them? You know, do they find someone else in free agency? It'll be very interesting to see um, when free agency starts in a couple of weeks. So a couple of news, a couple of notes from around the NHL. Obviously, we talked about Yandel being bought out by the Panthers, Zach Parise and Suter being bought out by the Minnesota Wild. Um, Gabriel Landeskog, um, not really happy with his current contract talks, so um, not sure about his return to Colorado as he is a restrict, an unrestricted free agent. Um, I think there's a good possibility he leaves and goes, signs, goes and signs somewhere else. Uh, obviously, is a still a pretty good big-time player. Um, has played with Colorado his entire career. So possibility he is on the move when free agency starts. Um, then Ryan Graves traded from Colorado to New Jersey. Colorado, I think, freeing up a spot to um, protect Devon Taves. So I think I would expect that to um, be, be shown when... Uh, Colorado turns in their protected player list. Uh, also the same thing for Minnesota. I think um, buying out Suter, also a uh, strategy for them to be able to protect Matt Dumba. So that's really kind of it. Bruins will uh, pick 20th in the upcoming NHL entry draft, which happens, I believe, on Friday. Yeah, Friday will be rounds round one at 8 o'clock. Rounds two through seven will be on Saturday. Round one will be on ESPN2. Also, the expansion draft will happen on Wednesday on ESPN, I believe. So that will be when the expansion draft will officially start, when uh, Seattle will reveal their picks. Obviously, the expansion protected lists have to be in tomorrow by five o'clock so we'll know then i'll probably tweet out my official uh seattle team prediction probably at some point this weekend or possibly monday so be on the lookout for that on the not your average boston sports podcast twitter page um we also had a last bruins mailbag question from my good friend alex um i touched on it a little while ago but he was wondering what the bruins biggest achilles heel was in that second round against the Islanders. So I think I've said it's the lack of defensive depth, lack of secondary scoring, but I think to pick one, I would say the lack of defensive depth that it really kind of showed, it really kind of exposed the Bruins. You know, once you lost Brandon Carlo to the concussion, you know, and you didn't have Kevin Miller, you know, you were really up against it in that late second round. And unfortunately, there were a number of other players that were unavailable due to injury. And so, you know, guys got put into roles that they couldn't handle. And, you know, the Islanders took advantage of that, got really physical with the Bruins, especially down low. And, 
you know, were able to expose them defensively. And, you know, really, I think losing Carlo to that concussion was the turning point of the series in game three. Uh, Bruins ultimately won that game, but the Islanders kind of, you know, turned the tide after that series. Um, and then the Bruins ultimately losing in six games. So, you know, I think that it's important that the Bruins go out and try to address that and try to bring in some players that, you know, you can rely on to give you minutes in the playoffs. If there's injuries that come up, um, I think they just need to be a lot more effective in terms of what they can do defensively. So, you know, I think that really was their biggest issue. Um, If the Bruins, you know, were able to be healthy in that series defensively against the Islanders, they probably win that series. You know, I know that offensively they didn't perform exactly at the way that they should have, but I think that if they were better defensively, there's a good chance they would have won that series. Um, would it have made a difference against Tampa Bay? Perhaps not, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the Bruins do to go out and address their defense in the offseason. So we will move on to the NBA, take a look at take a look at the NBA Finals. Obviously, the Bucks were able to even the series with Game Three uh, or uh, Game Four, excuse me, on Wednesday night. Or was it Wednesday night? Yeah, it was Wednesday night. Uh, Bucks win Game Four. It was a really exciting game down the stretch. Um, really thought that the Suns were going to make enough plays. That Devin Booker was going to make enough plays down the stretch. Uh, but the Bucks really kind of just were really resilient in this game. You know, and that's kind of been a talking point throughout the playoffs that the Bucks, this is the second time that they've been down 2 nothing in a playoff series. And both times they've been able to come back and even the series. So, um, you know, credit to Giannis, credit to, to Holiday and Chris Middleton and, you know, the rest of that team. They're really a really solid um, team that, just never quits. You know, I really did not think that they played well for the majority of that game um, until late when, you know, Giannis made a number of great plays playmaking-wise and then obviously made that amazing block. Um, I will never get sick of watching that replay um, just the same way that, you know, you watch that replay of LeBron's block in the finals. Never get sick of watching stuff like that where guys just never give up on a play. Um, and it came in a big moment in the game, too. So uh, the Bucks able to hold on. Chris Middleton was amazing, knocked down some big shots down the stretch, and the Bucks are able to tie the series. So I think that really you're looking at a series that, and I know it's a cliche, really has just the momentum has changed drastically, that you've seen what the Bucks can do at home, what they can do in front of that loud crowd. And, you know, they've now made it into a, a competitive series. A lot of us, including myself, were very concerned that the, you know, Suns were going to run away with the series after the first two games. That, you know, Giannis was playing good basketball, but he really wasn't being helped very much. Now, oftentimes, especially in the NBA playoffs, the role players play better at home. You know, they're more comfortable playing in their home arena. And I think that that's 
part of the reason why you've been able to, why the Bucks have been able to get great play off the bench from uh, Pat Connaughton and Bobby Portis, for example. Um, Pat Connaughton, obviously an Arlington native. It's been fun to uh, watch him compete in the NBA Finals. But, you know, you had the Bucks role players that I think performed better than the Suns role players did. So it'll be interesting to see if that changes in Game 5. You know, do you see better games from Cam Johnson, Campaign, Jay Crowder? Now, I don't think that Jay has played bad in this series, but I think that this is a game that he could be a difference maker. You know, do you see him? Do you see Cam Johnson going off for, for 20 points the way that Bridges did in Game 2? Um, very interested to see. I think that for Phoenix, you know, they really have to stop the bleeding, and um, it's very unlike Chris Paul, but he has to stop turning the ball over. Um, if he continues to turn the ball over at the rate he is, the Bucks are going to win the series. I think that that really is ultimately what is going to make the difference. Um, you know, I know that there's been some conversation about Middleton being the quote-unquote Batman or best player or whatever, and I don't know. I think that it's it's unnecessary to say something like that. I think that people looking to say things like that are just trying to kind of get people, you know, up in arms and to argue and, you know, no, like Giannis is their best player. He's won the league MVP two times. Like this isn't really a debate and it honestly doesn't matter. You know, like sure. Chris Middleton is the guy that, that maybe closes out games with a lot of clutch shots, but you know, that's his game. You know, Giannis is the guy who everything flows through and yes, he's not going to score. Maybe he doesn't score 40 points every game, but it doesn't mean that he's like, you know, a lesser player. I just think, like, we're getting into an area where people are saying things like this just to kind of get a rise out of people and be like, they want you to argue. Like, they want you to violently disagree. And it's just, like, it's 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 unnecessary. And I understand that maybe that's the what's what's popular in sports media nowadays, that you just say crazy things for the sake of saying crazy things. And... You know, you see if people are wanting to have, like, a back-and-forth argument with you. And it's just kind of a waste of time. Um, but this Game 5, I think, winner of this game wins the series. Uh, I think that if the Suns are able to bounce back, they get good bounce-back games from Chris Paul. Um, I don't think Aiton played poorly in Game 4. He almost had 20 rebounds. But I think they need to get him more involved offensively. Chris Paul, I think, needs to be better with the ball. And I think if all those things happen, the Suns should be able to win. Um, but I think the Bucks defensively have really kind of inserted themselves into the series. They really had a tough time defensively in those first two games. But I think that they have stepped up and said, hey, we're here and we're going to play good, solid defense. So very curious to see what changes when the series goes to Phoenix. Um, I honestly, with the way the Bucks are playing, I like them to win game five. And a lot of fans chanting Bucks and six in games three and four. I honestly think I honestly think that's what's going to happen. So very excited to see game five tomorrow night, nine o'clock game in Phoenix. So just some Celtics thoughts. Celtics hiring a couple of new assistants as we get to them quickly. Um, Aaron Miles being hired. So he is most known for his uh, college career at Kansas, played on 
two Jayhawk teams that reached the Final Four in 2002 and 2003. Only played in the NBA for about 19 games with the Warriors. Uh, spent a lot of his playing career in Europe. Um, also played with Ime Adoka in the G League. So, Miles had previously been um, a head coach of the Warriors G League team um, and then also served as a player development coach in Golden State for Steve Kerr. So that's what he'll be doing in Boston. Um, Garrett Jackson also being hired. And both of these guys are from uh, the Portland area. Damon Stoudemire also from the Portland area. We'll have, a, we'll have quite a uh, Portland flavor on this Celtics coaching staff. Uh, Garrett Jackson played for USC and St. Mary's in college and then played professionally for a couple seasons in Australia and in Germany, retired in 2018. So Celtics really doing a great job filling out the coaching staff. Uh, Will Hardy also on the staff, former Spurs assistant coach. So just great to see the Celtics really embracing kind of the breath of fresh air in terms of getting a new voice on the bench and making sure that they're just new, fresh perspectives, which I really think the Celtics were in need of based on, you know, how challenging this season was that, you know, maybe players were tuning out the coach and they just needed a a fresh voice. And I think that you're going to get plenty of fresh voices with this coaching staff, which I think is only going to be, is only going to be a positive thing for the Celtics team. Um, I really don't think that this is going to be negative in any way. And I think that it's going to be just a, a good a, go, a good challenge for this coaching staff, a good challenge for these players. Um, so I'm really excited to see what you know what it what it looks like when you know they play this season. Obviously, you're probably not going to notice a whole lot in terms of like watching games on TV and really noticing the assistant coaches. Um, but I think just having that, having those new perspectives, I think is really going to be huge for the Celtics. So I think it makes sense for us to give you guys an update on the uh, Team USA Olympic basketballs. We stay in kind of the basketball uh, area. Uh, The Team USA game against Australia today has been canceled. Team USA is unfortunately having some uh, COVID issues. Bradley Beal, unfortunately, will not be traveling to the Tokyo Olympics as he is in its health and safety protocols. I also believe that Jeremy Grant is in those health and safety protocols as well. Unclear about whether he'll play. Uh, Kevin Love will not play. That was just recently broken in terms of news, so he won't be going to the Olympics. So, you know, be interesting to see what you know replacement players are brought in uh, for the Celtics uh, or for the for Team USA. Um, it was rumored yesterday that there's possibility that Team USA could bring in Christian Wood, who played with the Rockets this past season after signing a big contract last off season. So a possibility he could join the U.S. team. So in terms of the schedule, it's able to find the Team USA schedule. Um, and taking a look at the preliminary round groups. So there will be 12 teams in the Olympic basketball. In Group A, Team USA will be in a group with the Czech Republic, 
France, and Iran. Group B will be Australia, Germany, Italy, and Nigeria. Uh, Team USA dropping a couple of exhibition games to Australia and Nigeria, but beat Argentina the other day. So Team USA getting a win. I think it's uh, really important that they got that win because there's a lot of pressure in this USA team. I'll explain that in a moment. Um, And then Group C, you have Argentina, Japan, Slovenia, and Spain. Luka Doncic will play for Slovenia, so that will be pretty interesting to watch. The preliminary rounds, Team USA will begin their preliminary round on Sunday the 25th against Team France. Evan Fournier is on the French national team. Not sure the rest of their roster, but obviously you'll uh, be able to find that out when you watch. This is an 8 o'clock game on Sunday, the 25th. Team USA's second game will be against Iran on Wednesday at 12.40, so 12.40 a.m., so that's going to be a really late night for some of us, and then they will close out the preliminary round with a matchup against the Czech Republic on the 31st. That game is also at 8 a.m., and the quarterfinals, August 2nd and 3rd, and then the semifinals, the 5th bronze medal game, August 7th, and then the gold medal game is August 6th, I believe. So that's what you're looking at in terms of Team USA. Um, in terms of other NBA notes, uh, Jason Kidd introdu- introduced as the new head coach of the Mavericks. Um, Adam Silver was also on the ESPN uh, pre-game show prior to game four. Um, I don't know about you, but it was it, it was good to see him, you know, talking about the the future of the game in terms of the players that, you know, we're seeing this postseason, that you're seeing a lot of young players kind of taking that, taking that torch, which I think is just great to see that the game is in really good hands, you know, and I think it's it's very similar to baseball, you know, that you saw this week, this past All-Star break, that you saw you know, a lot of young players really kind of taken that that torch from, you know, the, the older guard. And you're really seeing that. You really saw that in the NBA playoffs this season with guys like Trey Young and Devin Booker and um, and Luka. You know, guys really kind of taking that, that torch and kind of being that kind of next, the, the new faces of the game. So I think that that's um, really excellent that the league is in great hands. Um, the Wizards still without a front runner, or still without a head coach. Uh, Wes Unseld and Darvin Ham are f- considered front runners for that job. So we will move on to talking about the NFL. There are a couple of uh, talking points here. The Patriots announced, I think, last week that they um, expect that Nikhil Harry will uh, report for training camp. Um, so I find that really interesting. You know, oftentimes if you see a player request a trade, it's unusual to see them, you know, stick around with the team. But I mean, that tells me that I think Nikhil is committed to trying to improve as a player and, you know, is not just going to sit out just because he requested a trade. Um, you know, I think that a lot of people here have written him off. And, you know, I think that, that it's, it's fair to a certain extent. Um, but I also think that it tells you a lot about his character that he's not going to be someone that's going to sit and pout and be like, oh, I want to be traded. Get me out of here. You know, I think that it's, 
just asking for a trade, asking for a change of scenery, but, you know, he'll be someone that'll show up and try to, you know, do some work here. And I don't know if that trade request will be honored. I'm really not sure about that. Um, I would think that it would be, you know, I think that it would be a mistake for the Patriots to not trade him. You know, it's, it's unfortunate that that's what he felt because I think that this year could have been a potential breakout year for him, but you know, he made the decision that he made and, you know, I really don't, I really wish him nothing but the best in his, in his future, in his future, because I think he's got a good future here. Maybe it's not here in New England, but I think he's got a future in, in the NFL. So um, also worth noting that the Patriots will have some joint practices with the Philadelphia Eagles, August 16th and 17th, leading up to their preseason game on the 19th, I believe. Patriots training camp will open up July 28th with some sessions at Gillette. There'll be a season ticket holder event, I think maybe later in that week or the week after. And then they'll have a stadium session that will be open to the public on August 10th. So that will be a lot to look forward to. I know I've said this plenty of times that um, training camp is going to be very exciting for the uh, for the Patriots. I really think that you're going to see a lot of talent, guys pushing each other, and I think it's going to make for really, I think it's going to make for an incredible training camp, and it could make for for a good regular season if, you know, guys really are pushing each other to be as good as they can be. Um, and speaking of that, um, Cam Newton did have some interesting things to say with, I'm unclear about where the interview was. Or what the interview he did. Well, he did do an, uh, an appearance on ESPN Radio. Introducing Extremes Almonds from Blue Diamond. Sorry Good about that. Sorry about that. That was uh, really loud. That was idiotic. Um, I thought I had muted the volume on this, but obviously I didn't. Um, but yeah, so here we go. Cam made some comments during an ESPN Radio appearance on Thursday. Um, so... He said, for me, the Patriots organization has been impeccable. My time there has been everything I could have asked for. I guess it's now time for me to uphold my end of the bargain through and through. So, you know, I think that one of the common themes about Cam's time in New England, I think, has been that he's not someone that has sat and complained a lot. You know, that he has said all the right things and really hasn't pouted or kind of been upset at anything. I know that there are, you know, local people that try to frame it the other way, but I really think that, you know, the, the, the guys have really liked having him around, the guys in that team. And, you know, Bill Belichick's spoken very highly of him and, you know, tells you that he's a guy that really is not going to make excuses for himself, that he's going to be someone that, that says the right things and is going to always do what's right for the team. And, um, he made some interesting comments that um, maybe aren't, or I don't know. And you, I don't know if you want to read into the comments or whatever. Um, but, you know, he said, what you're not going to get out of me is a disgruntled person. Mac Jones is a person who ever since I've seen him has come, come on into the locker room with a business approach, doing the initiatives of learning his teammates understanding that I've got to raise my level of play from the collegiate level to the professional level. 
Um, and Cam goes on to say, I'm here for him as well as he's here to as well as he's here for play, just like Jared Stidham, Brian Hoyer. Um, our job is to be the best player that we can possibly be for the New England Patriots. No matter what is asked of us, it's our job to do to be that. Um, so, you know, goes on to say really no ill will feelings towards, you know, the pick, which I don't know. There's some people that probably think he's lying when he says that. But um, I think that, you know, it's, it's part of the reason why I think this training camp is really going to be it's really going to be fun because I think that you're going to have the quarterbacks all are going to push each other and are all going to try to help each other. And I think that, you know, we as fans always kind of get caught up in, oh, this guy sucks. This guy's better than this guy. And, you know, the players don't really view it that way. I hate to hate to break it to some people, but I think all the players want to push each other and want to do what's best for the team and want to improve each other as much as they can. So, um, I'd like to, I'd like to hear stuff like that from Cam. Um, you know, I think that it's, as he said, it's put up or shut up time. And I think that, you know, possibility that Cam bounces back and with an improved offense with some, you know, all world tight ends and a couple of really solid receivers that I think are going to be a lot better than people people expect. Um, so I think that's really all the Patriots stuff. Um, it was revealed the other day that Tom Brady played the entire season with a completely torn MCL, which is just insane. Um, that's just crazy. I can't believe something like that. Um, that's just goes to show you, you know, how committed Tom is to, to, to being the best. And, um, just, yeah, tremendous props for, for him to be able to do that. Um, the Panthers signing one of their offensive linemen to a big contract. Um, you know, not really a whole lot of NFL news. Obviously, there was some um, sad news about Richard Sherman, who um, was arrested the other day. Um, I don't really want to get into details. You know, you can look that up for yourself, but... Um, just kind of hoping, hoping the best for, for his family. Um, cause it's just kind of a, a scary situation. Um, other than that though, I mean, there's really not a whole lot of NFL news as we get closer to, to training camp, obviously as things get closer, maybe the Patriots can work something out with, uh, Stefan Gilmore, but still kind of status quo on that. Really not much news there. So that probably, does it for the NFL? We will go to talking about the Revolution, who are in kind of a weird spot right now, as uh, Matt Turner is competing with Team USA in the Gold Cup, and so he has been unavailable. The last game will be unavailable tomorrow as the Revolution play Atlanta United in Atlanta. The Revolution um, having a really disappointing loss their last time out. Um, a 3-2 loss to Toronto, one of the worst teams in Major League Soccer. Brad Knighton, the backup, appeared in that game, has not played in a very long time, um, and had a really tough game. Uh, Revolution really just not at their best defensively um, in this game. And so this brings us to our next mailbag question, comes from my good friend John Veneziano. Um, and so his question was, 
in your opinion, has Andrew Farrell underperformed this season? Now, Farrell is one of the Revolution's defenders. Trying to see if I can get a C out. There we go. Um, and I think that it's, for me, you know, not being the biggest soccer person in terms of, you know, statistics and really looking at certain players. Um, and so, so John's question was if he has underachieved. Now, um, I think that, you know, if you look at him year to year, I don't really think that it's changed a lot in terms of who he is as a player. You know, he's not a player that's going to really do anything offensively. You know, it's really about the where he is defensively. I feel like whenever I watch games, um, and for some reason this season I've done a poor job of watching games, um, but it seems like when I watch, he's almost always in the right place at the right time, uh, is a player that I think reads the ball really well. Um you know, pretty experienced, has been with the Revs the longest, I think, has been with the team since 2013. Um, this is his eighth, this is his ninth season with the club. He's 28, was a a first-round pick out of Louisville. Um, so, you know, I think that underperform might be a strong word. You know, I think that as a group, the Revolution are not playing the defense, the, not playing the level of defense that, that should be required. But, you know, Farrell's one of two guys that's made all the 13 starts this season. Him and Carlos Seal are the only players that have started every single game and have played every single minute. Uh, Brandon Bay and Dewan Jones are the only other defenders that have played um, 12 games. Everyone else has played. Uh, Kessler's played eight games. John Bell's been in the lineup for five games. Um, but I think Farrell's kind of one of those guys that's always reliable. Um, you know, if he gives you anything offensively, it's a bonus. Um, so I don't think that he's underperformed. You know, has he performed at the level that the Revolution expect? You know, I'm not sure. I think it's kind of hard to know. Um, but I don't think that he's someone that I think I would label that he is underperformed. I mean, I really think if you look at the majority of this team, I'm not really sure if there are many players that have underperformed. Um, you know, Books has done really well. He has five goals. Uh, Bo has six goals. Carlos Hill has two goals, seven assists. Buchanan's had a really good season. Um, you know, it's unfortunate now that, you know, Matt Turner is not available and the Revs kind of have to make do with what they have. Um, but it's still been, you know, good times for the Revolution as they are currently in first place in the East. Um, so we'll travel to Atlanta to play Atlanta United this weekend. Game is at five o'clock. Atlanta um, has had a really tough start to the season, minus two in goal differential, just two wins, three losses, and seven draws. They have thirteen points. Revolution lead the East with twenty-four points. Seattle leads the West with 29. So in terms of the Revolution and their upcoming games, they do have, um, obviously, the Saturday game, and then the Revolution will play Wednesday in Miami. So the Revolution will play um, a couple games on the road this weekend, and then they will be back home next Sunday against Montreal. So be interesting to see what the Revs can do in the next two 
Obviously, they've lost two of their last three. The only draw came against Columbus, so the Revolution really have to um, improve what they're doing defensively, um, especially without uh, Matt Turner, who will probably be unavailable for the foreseeable future, depending on how long um, Team USA goes in the Gold Cup. I believe Team USA is currently tied in first place with uh, Canada in their group. The two teams play on Sunday at 5 o'clock. So, quick little update on the Euro, obviously, or the Euro tournament came to an end on Sunday. Italy with the win against England in penalty kicks. This is a really exciting game, really kind of edge of your seat type of stuff. Um, Unfortunately, England's penalty kick uh, demons came back to haunt them again as they missed three straight kicks. Um, To end it, um, Italy is able to get enough goals in the penalty kick shootout. England had the advantage early. Italy tied the game. And um, I really thought this was a case of, you know, the best team winning. I think Italy has been the best team in the tournament. You know, I think they definitely deserved it. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo, Patrick Schick from Czech Republic sharing the, uh, or tied for the most goals in this tournament. So Italy, the champions of the European football championship um so here at the end we've gotten to the end of our uh content i will get to some more mailbag questions have a couple of them that i thought it would be better to save them till the end because they weren't really involved in any of the topics we were talking about today um so this is a great question comes from my good friend Derek welch uh Derek, hope you're you're listening to this um so derek's question was what are your top five events or you know sports that you're going to watch in between the nba finals ending and football season starting so um derek i'm assuming that you mean the start of the nfl season in september um and not you know the football season because football season technically starts you know when training camp starts but um going to definitely answer the question. So I think, I don't think I'm going to rank them exactly, but I think that uh, for me, definitely watching the Olympics, I'll mostly be watching the Olympic basketball and see what Team USA can do. Um, So that's definitely one. Um, As far as another one, I think I'm looking forward to watching the NBA Summer League, which I believe begins August 8th, goes to the 17th. So I'm looking forward to see what the Celtics young players can do um, in Summer League. Summer League's always a fun thing to watch. Um, in terms of my third one, uh, the NHL expansion draft, which you know may happen before the NBA final season is over, um, but I am looking forward to that. I think that that will be a really interesting, um, a really interesting event. You know, hopefully tune in, see what players get picked, maybe you pick up a jersey for some of those players. Um, in terms of uh, a fourth one, um, not sure when this will happen, if this will be maybe right before football season, but the U.S. Open the tennis tournament is always a fun, fun thing to watch. You know, definitely, if you're at least a little bit interested in tennis, you can watch that. I know there'll be Olympic tennis, so you can definitely, um, definitely tune into that. Um, and then I think my fifth one is kind of just a joint one uh, between the NHL and the NBA free agency. Always a fun time of year and always interesting to see what players go where. 
So I'll be very interested to see what the Celtics and the Bruins do. So hopefully, Derek, that uh, gives you a good answer for five things, events that I'll be uh, paying attention to before the start of the NFL season, which I believe will be, maybe it's the, I think it's the second week of September. I can't remember what the official date is when the Bucks will play. I think they play the Cowboys in that first game. I have to go double check. Um, last question uh, comes from my good friend Matt Plew from Springfield College. Uh, so Matt was curious about me expanding on talking about the NCAA athletes getting paid um, and how it might affect the recruiting process. So um, Matt, I, it's a great question. You know, I think that obviously it's going to it's going to be a much different landscape in college sports. You know, I think that that's stating the obvious that. Um, it will change a lot of things. You know, I think that it's, it's a good thing. You know, as, I've, as I said maybe a week ago or two weeks ago, I think that it's a good thing because, you know, most of these athletes that play college sports, that play in college football, college basketball, college baseball, you know, whatever, whatever sport you play in, you know, there's a very small chance that you're going to go pro. Um, and there's an even smaller chance that you're going to go pro and make a lot of money. You know, you really only see a small percentage of guys, you know, going to the NFL making a lot of money, you know, that they, they can support themselves. And a lot of these athletes don't go pro. And a lot of these athletes don't have an opportunity to, you know, make the amount of money that they probably should. And, you know, not saying that like every college athlete should be a multimillionaire necessarily, but I think that let's say for example you are a collegiate volleyball player now you know volleyball gets shown on espn every so often you know there are probably little sponsors that you can get but you know someone like that there's not an opportunity for them to go pro there's really not an opportunity for them to you know make money from their sport and if they can you know make money through sponsorships through tv deals any of that stuff or name and likeness, which is, you know, what this ruling is, you know, then they should be able to make a little bit of money. Now, I understand that, you know, to some people, it defeats the purpose of college athletes that, you know, players are going to be greedy and try to go to, you know, I don't know what people are thinking in terms of do they think that athletes are going to just go to certain schools where they have a better chance of, you know, making money off their name and likeness. Um, but I just think at the end of the day, it's people just trying to make money. And I really don't think that it's really a big negative thing. You know, I think that it's about time that, you know, players are able to, you know, sell their own jerseys. Because basically, this is what it is. It's just, just it's selling memorabilia, selling jerseys, you know, the same way that like a professional athlete, you know, gets paid for the jersey sales and things like that. And it's like, it's only fair that a college athlete should be able to benefit from that too. You know, if you're using the player's name, if you're benefiting off the player's likeness, if you're, you know, benefiting off the player's image and, you know, all this money goes to the university and doesn't go to the players. And that doesn't exactly, you know, it's never sounded fair to me, you know? And I think that you want to see you, and, and this is the other thing. You know, for EA Sports making NCAA football, you're now going to see player names in the game, which is cool. You know, you don't have to play NCAA football and, 
you know, refer to the players by their numbers, you know, you'll get to see their names on their back. You'll get to be able to do things like that. And I think that like, that's pretty cool. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly what the negatives can be exactly. Um, but I think that, yeah, could it change the recruiting process a little bit? You know, maybe does it change whether certain athletes, you know, only want to go to certain schools so they have a better chance of making some money. But it's like, I think that it's it's only going to be a good thing for college sports. And I know that a lot of people might have some, you know, concerns about it, but I just think at the end of the day, it's a positive thing. And um, it should be an exciting time for college sports and college athletes that, you know, may not may not in may not usually get an opportunity to make a little bit of money which you know they should be if they're you know college and universities are using their name and likeness they should be able to get compensated a little bit you know even if it's not anything crazy even if it's you know thinking about athletes that aren't on tv all the time not thinking about college basketball or college football the two sports that are played on tv a lot you know thinking about the players who play other sports that may not be may not have as much attention as a football or a basketball um, so thanks Matt thanks everyone for those questions uh, really appreciated that so um, that probably does it for me this week uh, we will be back with you guys next week we will do a full breakdown of Seattle's picks at the expansion draft I'll tweet that uh tweet that out for you guys on Sunday or Monday, my official picks for the, uh, like an expansion mock draft, if you will, and then we'll talk about the actual picks um, next week. But everyone, enjoy the rest of your Friday, enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk to you next time.